You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. In 1935, on Long Island, New York, an employee of Frank Buck's Jungle Camp Animal Park left a plank of wood across the moat surrounding an enclosure of rhesus monkeys when he went in. The plank escaped the notice of the worker, but not that of a monkey named Capone. In an arguable case of nominative determinism, Capone broke the rules and escaped. He not only escaped, he took over 170 of his countrymen with him, out of the park and into the woods. As the troop crossed a set of railroad tracks, the wave of small monkeys chased away a pair of workers and brought the train to a dead halt. My name's Moxie, and this is your Brain on Facts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. If you've been staying inside as much as possible these past few months, and that's a little easier to do now that the summer heat has fully set in, you're probably anxious to get out, to fly the coop, as it were. Animals who can fly should be getting out of zoos all the time, it would stand to reason. Though usually they're in enclosures with netting across them, or they've had their wings clipped. That's a process of trimming off a bird's largest flight feathers, so they can't get enough lift when they flap which I'm probably going to end up doing to our backyard chickens if they don't knock off the free-ranging. Birds generally stay in captivity pretty well, but of course there are exceptions to the rule, or I wouldn't have brought it up. In 2005, an African flamingo managed to get away from the Sedgwick County Zoo in Kansas. A massive search was launched, but Sebastian the Crab's backup singer was nowhere to be found. Until 2013 when he was spotted 650 miles away on the Gulf Coast of Texas, among a flock of wild local flamingos. A birdwatcher named Neil Hayward had been able to confirm the flamingo's identity by the numbered band on his leg and offered to help recapture it. The zoo essentially said, I'm not even mad, I'm impressed, and told the folks in Texas to leave the flamingo to his new life, with a mate who had herself escaped from a Mexican nature reserve. Anyone who's dealt with a parrot knows that they're too clever by half, and that certainly applies to Chuva the Macaw, a resident of Vancouver Zoo's parrot gardens. Even though the zoo had taken all precautions to prevent the parrots from escaping, it seemed that the clever girl was hell-bent on getting out. On a pleasant spring day in 2009, zoo staff had moved the parrots to an outdoor enclosure. A little while later, their head count came up short. The keepers weren't panicked, all the birds had their wings clipped, so how far could Chuva have gotten? Surprisingly far, considering she hitched a ride in an RV. Chuva got into a compartment near the vehicle's engine bay and hung out for three days before the family in the RV found her. Luckily, they were on one of the more stationary parts of their vacation and had only gone 20 miles, so it was barely out of their way to take what I'm assuming was a very annoyed parrot back to the zoo. Anyone who's watched a jailbreak movie knows that you won't get very far without stealing a set of wheels. 
me try to imagine the end of The Great Escape without the motorcycles. No good. Even Juan, the Andean spectacled bear at the Berlin Zoo, knew that. In 2004, he rode a log across the moat that surrounds the bear habitat and scaled a wall to freedom. Now that he was out, he had to use his time wisely. First stop, the zoo's playground. Terrified parents rushed their children away while Juan had a jolly go on the merry-go-round and went down the slide. After getting bored of that fairly quickly, Juan wandered off only to find a bicycle across his path. When he stopped to examine it, perhaps to assess it for its usability as a getaway vehicle, the keepers who had put it there were able to trank him and carry all 300 pounds or 136 kilos of bear back to his habitat. Big and potentially dangerous could also describe a gator named Chucky, who got loose from the Alabama Gulf Coast Zoo in 2004, with a little help from Hurricane Ivan. Zookeepers hadn't been able to evacuate the gators, and the storm surge destroyed their enclosure, setting them loose. Them meaning plural gators, though only Chucky got any real publicity, probably due to the fact that he was 12 feet or 3.7 meters long and weighed about half a ton. That makes for better copy. Zoo officials weren't as worried about Chucky going native as they were of Chucky going up to people, expecting to be fed as he had for the past 14 years, a situation that could get very ugly very fast. Luckily, a dedicated alligator retrieval team from Gatorland in Orlando was able to catch Chucky less than a week later. Some animals get by with a little help from their friends, or even from strangers. Three kangaroos staged a daring escape from a wildlife park near Frankfurt, Germany, the name of whom I am now going to attempt to say. The Hochschwalstuttpark Hansruck. It is what it is, take it or leave it. They escaped by going under the fence, thanks to the work of a fox and wild boar. Skippy, Jack, and Mick, very clever names for your kangaroos, Germany, made it under the first fence of their enclosure using a hole that had been dug by a wild fox. One got stuck there, but two managed to use a second hole that had been dug by a wild boar under the exterior fence to get all the way out. Of those two, one was captured quickly, but the other one gave staff the slip. And wouldn't you know it, as usual, there are dozens of articles about the escape and the one Roo being missing, but can I find anything about him ever being caught? We are so fickle and flighty when it comes to the news we will pay attention to and by extension, the news that people bother to write. Speaking of outside help, thanks to the folks who have been reviewing the Your Brain on Facts book on Amazon, thus pleasing the almighty algorithm so that it might suggest the book to more people. Please keep them coming. Like this one from Seanish123, I love podcasts because they're like books someone reads to me. I love this book because it's like a podcast I'm reading to myself. This book is so full of facts, I literally don't even know where to start. So I just opened it up to a random page and started reading. The facts are extremely well-researched and presented in such a funny and friendly way that you'll want to read it again and again. I'm absolutely enamored with this book. It will be a mainstay on my coffee table slash living room bookshelf for years to come. I can't wait to push it on all my friends and family. 
Thank you, Seanish123. I have a similar habit and I lose copies of my favorite books so quickly that way because I never remember who did I force to read John Dies at the End or Smoke Gets in Your Eyes this time. Thanks also to all the supporters at patreon.com slash yourbrainonfact for helping to keep the show going. Not only did three new people sign up last week, welcome to Alicia, Lori, and Karen, but they all signed up on the same day. When those notifications kept rolling in, you could have knocked me over with a feather. I am so grateful to everyone who helps to defer the costs of putting on the podcast. And remember that for the duration of the crisis, which is going to be a while, all tiers are receiving all levels of rewards. If my gentle listener has ever touched a penguin, can you let me know if they feel as slippery physically as they look? One young Humboldt penguin at Tokyo Sea Life Park proved to be quite slippery indeed. Known only as Penguin 337, he somehow scaled a 13-foot wall topped with barbed wire. None of my sources list how he did this, possibly so the other penguins won't overhear and get ideas. Over the next few months, 337 had allegedly been spotted swimming in the rivers that feed into Tokyo Bay, but no one could get their hands on him. 337 managed to stay on the lam for about a year before he was recaptured. Zoo officials weren't sure what state he was going to be in when they found him, since he'd been raised in captivity and had always had his food provided to him. But 337 surprised them again. He was the exact right weight that he should have been for his age and size, and was in tip-top shape all around. In 1965, a golden eagle named Goldie decided that five years of living at Regent's Park Zoo in London had been quite enough, thank you very much, and made its bid for freedom while its cage was being cleaned. Even in the pre-internet days, Goldie became a media sensation and the public ate up the story. For nearly two weeks while Goldie was loose, people bombarded the zoo with calls and letters, offering unsolicited advice to the animal experts on how to best catch the rogue eagle. A crowd of roughly 1,000 people gathered to watch the eagle's keepers, police, and firefighters, and even a BBC reporter attempt to catch the bird. Goldie was caught by a deputy head keeper who lured it down with a dead rabbit tied to a rope and was able to quietly walk up and pick up Goldie with his bare hands. Zoo attendance doubled for a while after Goldie was returned. There are no reports of such hoopla when Goldie got loose again later that year and was recaptured after only four days. Bonus fact, there are 60 species of eagle in the world, only two of which are native to North America, the bald eagle, the national bird of the United States, and the golden eagle, the national bird of Mexico. While Goldie was out, he did what predators do snatching a duck out of someone's garden, and even trying to make takeaway of two terriers. Remember, captive does not mean tame by any stretch of the imagination. A similar scenario played out with a young male jaguar at the Audubon Zoo in New Orleans in 2018. The jaguar, named Valerio, got out of his enclosure under cover of darkness, and basically found himself loose in a buffet. The staff found and tranquilized Valerio within an hour of discovering him missing the next morning. That's probably about the same time they found five alpacas, two foxes, and an emu that had been properly jaguared. 
No humans were injured by the jaguar, although the circumstances of the escape sparked a fair bit of concern at what could happen. The jaguar jungle is right next to the children's play area. Zoo officials insisted the facility was safe for the public, though they wouldn't say how the apex predator got out to take out every alpaca that they had. Officials also chose not to euthanize Valerio because he was just doing what wild animals do. For escapes with a bit more sophistication and usually less carnage, we need only look over to the next branch of the evolutionary tree, to great apes, chimpanzees, and other primates. Like us, they're able to learn new skills by watching others, even when we don't think they're watching. Such was the case with a keen-eyed orangutan named Fu Manchu at Henry Dorley Zoo in Nebraska in 1968. Keepers found Fu Manchu and other orangutans were out, but they were able to coax them back in. They assumed someone had accidentally left the cage door open, so they made doubly sure that it was closed properly. But Fu Manchu escaped again. And a third time. It was after that third jailbreak that something caught the handler's eye. A little speck of light. A glint off a piece of metal wire that Fu Manchu was keeping under his lip. Just as he'd seen the staff use keys to open the cage, Fu Manchu picked the lock. The staff confiscated the wire and made sure there was nothing else in the enclosure that Fu Manchu could use to try for escape number four. A lot happens every day. Cut through some of the noise by listening to What's New with Wired, a podcast that provides in-depth coverage on technology and culture. With new episodes released every weekday, you can catch up on all the major events you missed. From AI developments to business updates to new scientific theories, it helps you make sense of what's happening in the world. Plus, each episode is usually pretty short. You can easily squeeze it in on your way to work or during a lunch break. So stay updated with the award-winning journalism from Wired. Listen to What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts. That's What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. But that is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. Down in Adelaide, Australia, a 27-year-old orangutan named Carta did foo one better. She had to contend with an electric fence, so she used a stick to wrap the wires around each other to short-circuit the fence before piling up more sticks to be able to climb out. A zoo spokesman said, she climbed over those disabled hot wires, built up a mound of leaf litter, and used a branch to climb out of the exhibit and onto the surrounding wall. Carta was only free for about half an hour before letting keepers lead her back in. She seemed to realize that she was somewhere she wasn't supposed to be, 
and never went within yards of any visitors, though they did have the zoo evacuated as a precaution. Carta's keepers think she might have gotten out to look for her mate, Pusong, who had passed away a month earlier. A silverback gorilla named Kumbuka got free from his enclosure at the London Zoo in 2016 in what seems like a lucky break for him and big trouble for the performance review of one of the keepers. The zoo refused to reveal much information about the incident, but they did say that the gorilla did not smash any glass or force its way out of the enclosure. And if that isn't code for someone left the door open, I don't know what is. Despite the description of Kumbuka as a gentle giant, visitors were ordered to take cover in buildings after the 400-pound or 184-kilo gorilla had escaped. The situation was quickly resolved. Kumbuka was tranquilized and returned to the enclosure in under half an hour. Silverback gorillas are incredibly strong, empirically having the strength of 10 men. But thankfully, Kumbuka never left the staff-only areas. The only casualty of his escape was the loss of five liters of black currant juice concentrate that he drank in a service corridor. If you're researching zoo escapes, especially those of the primate variety, there is one name that comes up again and again. Ken Allen. It's a bit like the tiger named Richard Parker from The Life of Pi. And to tell us all about the escapes of Ken Allen the orangutan are my friends from the podcast Life Death and Taxonomy. Thanks, Moxie. This is Carlos and Joe from Life, Death, and Taxonomy, your 30 minutes of interesting animal info. We love talking about fascinating animals, and we have a doozy for this one. Consider one Ken Allen, a hunk of a man. Actually, he was a 250-pound male Bornean orangutan that lived a not-so-peaceful life at the San Diego Zoo back in 19... 19... 1985. He was named after two zookeepers, Ken Willingham and Ben Allen, Ken and Ben, who saved him from his mother who was trying to smother him. Ken was a nice and easygoing ape under surveillance, aren't we all? But when no one was looking, old Ken went to work. Even as a hatchling, he would unscrew the bolts from his cage at night to play around in his nursery before getting back in before morning and reassembling his cage. But that was just the beginning. He was jungle-bound, but he just didn't know the way. One sunny summer's day in June, he climbed right over his retaining wall and escaped. Well, what did he do? He walked around the nearby exhibits, looking at animals and having a grand time with all the tourists before he was led back to his cage. The zoo officials didn't like that Ken could enjoy the zoo without buying a ticket, so they put a large moat around his pen that was ringed by an even larger retaining wall. But do you think that stopped old Ken? Absolutely not. A few weeks later, he climbed the new wall and escaped again. But instead of enjoying himself, he went to the exhibit of another orangutan named Otis, who he used to share a pen with, and started throwing rocks at him. Now, Ken, is that how you treat someone you once called a friend? Later, when enclosed with a female orangutan named Vicky, Ken found a crowbar that some zookeeper had left behind, tossed it to Vicky, and she pried open a window to let Ken out. After that, he was moved temporarily to an indoor pen with, quote, a black and white TV with one working channel. When moved to a new pen, the zookeepers would watch him to see how he escaped, but he knew he couldn't be slick around them. So they tried, and I quote, gorilla tactics, and dressed as plainclothesmen and women, 
which still didn't work on Tricky Vicky and Ken Ten. The zoo surrounded his new pen with electric wire, which seemed to cure poor old Ken Allen of his freedom itch. He settled down as a family man. But psych! As soon as opportunity struck, so did Kenny. His enclosure's water pump clogged and his moat dried, allowing him to walk across and climb out. He walked around for a bit, freeloading off that poor zoo. He even stopped to pose for some photos with tourists without paying the zoo for any royalties, which was kind of scummy of him. And when a zookeeper saw him, they accidentally scared him toward the lion enclosure, but they managed to get him back to his pen safely. In response, they gave Ken four females to compete with Otis's three to keep him happy. But Ken taught them to be criminals, and as soon as a squeegee was left in the pen by window washers, two of the females used it to climb out and escape. Fortunately, they were both returned safely. And eventually, Ken got too old for these shenanigans, and his escapades ended. Now, there have been many zoo escape stories over the years, but very few have captured the hearts of the public like Ken Allen. Most containment issues at zoos spark fear and concern from zoo patrons. But Ken Allen wasn't the villain of his story. He was the hero. The image of a clever orangutan longing for freedom was perceived as an inspiration more than a threat. The zoo saw their new celebrity as a selling point, and they began printing t-shirts that featured the headlines that mentioned the escapist ape. Bumper stickers were sold that read, Free Ken Allen. That slogan would later become a beer made by the Monkey Paw Brewing Company in San Diego. He gained the nickname Harry Houdini for his ability to escape his enclosures. That's H-A-I-R-Y. A group of retirees formed a fan club called the Orang Gang, and a lab assistant named Twyla Baker published a newsletter for all the Ken Allen updates. It had over 100 subscribers. Finally, Ken Allen became a true folk legend when psychiatrist, musician, and cool eye patch wearer David Gersten wrote a song about the genius ape who longed for freedom. The song, called The Ballad of Ken Allen, became a local hit. While the zoo was capitalizing on Ken's legend, they were also spending thousands of dollars to keep him in. They eventually succeeded until he was diagnosed with cancer and euthanized. Perhaps now, Ken Allen, the Harry Houdini, can truly be free. Thanks for having us, Moxie. Listeners that would like to hear more animal info can check out Life, Death, and Taxonomy on ldtaxonomy.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, y'all. Of all the animals I don't want getting out of their cage, an Egyptian cobra would be high on the list. So I'm glad I wasn't in the Bronx in 2011 when one went missing for the better part of a week. A citywide manhunt, or snake hunt, was underway. Luckily, the cobra had only gone a few hundred feet over the course of those six days. As it happened, though, the snake's escape was a big topic of conversation among New Yorkers. One person even began a hugely popular Twitter account for the snake that began with the opening line, I want to thank those animals from the movie Madagascar. They were a real inspiration. And one of the last tweets from the Bronx Zoo Cobra account, Oh, this isn't over. Tomorrow is going to be big. This has only awakened the sleeping Bronx Zoo Cobra Nation. Tune in tomorrow. You'll have never seen this coming. Social media plays a part in zoo escapes, as it does everything else these days. In 2016, the hashtag Capybara Watch was trending after a pair of capybara, soon to be known as Bonnie and Clyde, got away from the staff of the High Park Zoo in Toronto during a transfer. 
For those who don't know what a capybara is right off the top of your head, picture a cross between a guinea pig and an actual pig, but really, really cute and super chill. The furry duo made international headlines and evaded the law for nearly a month before they were caught in traps and taken back. Social media can be useful in escaped animal situations by spreading the word and helping find the animals. But people being what they are, i.e. the reason we can't have nice things, some have used social media to fabricate tales of animal escapes, amidst the recent Black Lives Matter protests no less. People aren't anxious enough in the minds of the trolls, who think it would be nifty to also say there are gigantic escaped animals on the loose. A picture of a hippo that got away from a traveling circus in Spain in 2016 was recaptioned loose on the streets of Chicago. A picture of a giraffe next to two cars in a safari park is claimed to be on the streets of Minneapolis. The Alameda County Sheriff's Office even fell for one of these, or at least the person in charge of their Twitter account did. They posted, Reports of a tiger on the loose. If you see it, call 911 at 10.40 p.m. And at 10.52, tigers are all accounted for at Oakland Zoo. They checked. Next time, maybe call the zoo first, then tweet. Of course, nothing new under the sun. Zoo escape hoaxes aren't a modern invention. Another awful calamity, the intellectual department of the New York Herald let loose upon the public. So proclaimed the Daily Graphic on November 13, 1874. Because on November 9, 1874, the Herald, one of the most widely read and highly awarded newspapers of the time, published a front-page article claiming that the animals had escaped their cages in the Central Park Zoo and were rampaging the city. A lion had broken into a church. A rhinoceros had fallen into the sewer. Forty-nine people were already dead, and two hundred more injured as the police and National Guard heroically tried to fight the beasts. It was a bloody and fearful carnival, the article despaired, and the animals were still on the loose. It was pandemonium, though no pandas were reportedly involved. Many readers panicked when they read the article. However, those who did should have read the whole thing. At the end of the article, it stated, in literal small print, that the entire story given above is a pure fabrication. So, our modern tendency to read the top of something and immediately overreact to it, that isn't new either. The Orson Welles of this furry War of the Worlds scenario was one Thomas Connery, an editor at the Herald, who confessed to a Harper's Weekly reporter nearly 20 years later that the hoax had been his idea. He insisted that the owner of the Herald, James Gordon Bennett Jr., was blameless, but many believe Bennett must have at least given Connery the go-ahead. Connery claimed the idea came to him after he witnessed a leopard almost escape while being transferred to its cage in the Central Park Zoo, then called the Menagerie. Connery was concerned about the state of the zoo and its infrastructure. He thought of writing a stern column scolding the zookeepers, but decided he needed something with a little more razzle-dazzle to get people to notice. A harmless little hoax with just enough semblance of reality to give it a salutary warning. It's how he describes it. The article, assigned to one Joseph Clark to write, ran to over 10,000 words in length. For comparison, 
That's twice as many words as are in this script. It took up six columns on the front page. Well, technically it was on page three, but back then the first two pages were all ads and were more like a cover for the newspaper. Awful calamity, the headline screamed. A shocking Sabbath carnival of death. That is my new band name, Dibs. The article claimed the carnage began on Sunday afternoon and continued through publication time on Monday morning. It all started when a reckless keeper provoked a rhinoceros by poking it with a stick. The enraged beast smashed down its cage, killing the keeper in the process. It then battered down the cages of the other animals, who scattered throughout the city, wreaking havoc wherever they went. The author painted on gruesome details, heavy and thick. Rhino horns plunged into bodies, a panther chewing on a victim's head, animals jumping on desperate fleeing people and dragging them to the ground. The mayor was urging all citizens to stay within their houses or residences until the wild animals, now at large, are captured and killed. Say what you will about Clark, he had quite an imagination. The article went on to describe a lion and tiger fighting on 59th Street, a battle between a sea lion and a rhinoceros that I would pay pay-per-view money for, an anaconda attempting to eat a giraffe, Swedish hunters stalking a lioness down Broadway, a Bengal tiger shot on Madison Avenue, a panther attacking worshippers inside a church on West 53rd Street, and a tiger ransacking a ferry boat. Clark even wrote out a full list of names of the dead and wounded. If you were engrossed in the article and didn't immediately drop it to load your rifle and hammer crooked bits of wood over the windows, you would have read, Of course the entire story given above is a pure fabrication. Not one word of it is true. Not a single act or incident described has taken place. It is a huge hoax, a wild romance, or whatever other epithet of utter untrustworthiness our reader may choose to apply to it. It is simply a fancy picture which crowded upon the mind of the writer a few days ago while he was gazing through the iron bars of the cages of the wild animals in the menagerie at Central Park. By the way, thanks to everyone who has responded to my offers for free voiceover work. I am still offering free voiceovers while I build up my portfolio. Don't think it has to be anything big like a TV commercial. Just a little video on your company's social media I'd be happy to do. By all accounts, the article caused widespread panic throughout the city. Armed men rushed into the streets, ready to defend their homes. The police mobilized. Parents rushed to bring their children back from school. One grain of salt before I continue, and it's a pretty big one. Those reports of panic came from other, read, competing newspapers. They may well have made the reaction seem bigger or worse than it had been to make the Herald seem irresponsible, unprofessional, or even a danger to the public welfare. The same thing would happen later after the Great War of the Worlds radio play. We've all been led to believe that virtually everyone thought it was real, and there was panic in the streets and people in desperate fear for their lives. In fact, Wells repeatedly said during the broadcast that it was fictional. The reports of widespread panic come from newspapers, a medium at the time afraid of the upstart radio industry and what its popularity could mean for them. So other newspapers across the state and across the country quickly and unanimously denounced the hoax. The Galveston Daily News wrote, To be in keeping with this enterprise, the Herald should bribe a keeper to let loose a lion or two upon occasion so as to bring up that journal's prophetic record. 
Bennett had better recall Stanley, the man who found Dr. Livingston, from the interior of Africa. He is the crack lion shot of the Herald establishment and should be at home to protect it. The New York Times, while admitting that the animals in Central Park are confined in, quote, the flimsiest cages ever seen, described the article as an intensely stupid and unfeeling hoax, and printed letters from readers claiming to have been terrified by the story. They also reported a small angry mob descending on the district attorney's office to demand that something be done, though no charges were ever brought against anyone at the paper. The Herald's response was unrepentant, claiming to have been surprised at the reaction. Essentially, it was just a prank, bro, the last refuge of the truly unfunny. By way of apology, they simply inserted a short article into the next issue titled Wild Beasts, urging that safety precautions at the zoo be improved. Basically, the article that would have been written in the first place. The public was not best pleased with this apology, yet the Herald did not report any drop in circulation as a result of the hoax. In fact, it probably gained subscribers for every subscriber it lost, people who didn't want to miss the next bout of wild nonsense. And that's where we run out of ideas, at least for today. But back to Long Island. The Reese's monkey escape could have been a lot worse. There were over 500 monkeys in that enclosure, so the worker who forgot to remove the plank behind him was able to stop three-quarters of them from getting out. Monkey sightings were reported from two counties, primarily from homeowners finding monkeys in their yard and fruit stand owners being hassled by hungry primates. At dusk the first evening, 30 monkeys returned to their home on their own. The rest trickled back in slowly over the next few weeks, after owner Frank Buck publicly promised a free season pass to the park to anyone who caught and returned a monkey. Remember, you can always find the script and the source material at yourbrainonfacts.com. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and stay safe. Get ready to geek out. The Wired Science Podcast explores all the latest and greatest in science, everything from strange diseases and biological breakthroughs to interesting tech and mysteries in outer space. Listen to Wired Science today wherever you get your podcasts. That's Wired Science wherever you get your podcasts.